the rich are their own tribe. And I think that was a very powerful reminder for everyone. People forget that. You know, George Carlin, God bless him if he was still alive, he said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. And we ain't in Dave Chappelle's club. Dave Chappelle is a rich man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of the Bituation Room Podcast, uh, your weekly spot to just let it all hang out, you know? Nobody's putting on airs here. Hell, I didn't even write the weekly rundown, all right? Again, probably a good thing for some of you who don't like my weekly rundowns. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Thanks so much for being here, for pressing play, for watching it back, for listening as a podcast, uh, you know, with your little Bluetooth speaker in your shower. Um, what up? I hope you're uh, getting clean. Sorry, that went weird very quickly. Um, <laughs> we've got a good show. Uh, first of all, obviously, Vamos Argentina. So glad they are in the semifinals. If you're from the future, don't tell me what happens in the final. Shh. Shh. Zip it. Um, so excited to have two guests. I always have two guests, but my two guests, Wajahat Ali, author, commentator, um, just like delight, is going to be here talking to me about, uh, we're going to look at some SCOTUS corruption. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of it. There's a new angle of it. Uh, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk um, so close to trying his hand at stand-up in front of, I don't know, however many people. How many people were at the Chase Center? Like 6,000? 10,000? How many? How many? How big can Chappelle sell out at this point? Anything. Anything goes. He could sell out the world, um, which is very sad at this day and age. Um, so... Wajahat's going to join me to talk about that. And then um, documentarian Blake Zeff, who just it has finished and is about to screen for the first time, is going to be out on MSNBC, a documentary about student loan debt. What is it? How the hell did are so many hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people in this country indebted by it? Uh, and why is it so unique from other debts, um, i.e. why are young people fucked? And he did a deep dive for this MSNBC doc that he'd been working on for many years. And it's been a momentous year for student loan debt news, given the relief and now the battle in the courts. So I'm going to get his opinion. He's going to break it all down. If you obviously are way too familiar with this or if you're not familiar at all with it, um, we'll watch a little bit of that doc and uh, everyone tune in on Saturday night. And then for the patrons. The Frantifa, the, the, the inner circle, right? You get bonus content every goddamn week. And this week, there's a coup in Peru. Um, a year ago, we talked about the leftist president, Pedro Castillo. And it turns out he's now out of power. But it's unclear. It's like, who's cooing who? You know, like, did he coup first or was he cooed first? It's, we're going to suss it out in the bonus. Patreon.com slash Bituation Room. Again, five bucks a month. You can get two bucks a month, a buck a month. 
and you can get that bonus content. For those of you who are $10 patrons or more, you get that special shout out during the fart song and my undying love. Obviously for people who are in the Orchada Armada or the Franny Pack or the Innermost Cabal, you guys know who you are. There's perks at every single tier. This is how I put food on the table, people. Um, this is an independent podcast and your, your support means everything. We also have merchandise if you wanna buy something for a fellow Frantifa friend. Bituationroom.com. I am looking into hats, guys. So I'm unclear. Like, should we do bucket? Should we do beanie? Should we do baseball? They've got to be the right one, but uh, eager for your thoughts. Um, as well as if you want to tip the show, TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. And last but not least, January 22nd in San Francisco, SF Sketchfest, live in the flesh. Me. Nato Green, regular contributor, comedian, labor organizer, and Dragon Daddy himself of the Damage Report from the Young Turks, John Idarola will be in San Francisco, plus an extra special guest that you will be so excited about. But they have, they've said yes, but like, I'm like, and so can I, but, 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 and so they're very busy. And but it's I'm on the cusp of announcing who that person is. Um, but all to say it's gonna be such a fun night. So please get your tickets. SFSketchfest.com. There's a link down below, should be in everyone's descriptions. Ahora mismo. And with that, let us get into what we are bitching about. Okay, so uh if you know me. And my thoughts on fantasy uh, and sci-fi. Not really into it. Uh, do not like Marvel films. I was uh, gifted, like someone bought me a ticket to see Spider-Man No Way Home, Long Way Home. Anyway, one of those Spider-Man, the last, like a year ago. It was so long and so boring. And I know the multiverse and the pew pew. And I just, I just can't, I can't, I can't with marvel i can't with dc i don't care i really don't but i reserve a little space of my sci-fi love for star wars i do like star wars i liked it since i was a kid um obviously ewoks for life um that's their gang symbol if you're listening as a podcast that they just spell out ewok with their hands um uh and so i love star wars and of course the show andor is out now on disney plus and it is probably one of the best Star Wars sequels or, I guess, prequels, technically, that I've ever seen. Best Star Wars spinoff franchises. It is so damn good because it is dark and gritty and real. And it has incredible, um, I mean, it basically is just, an. I don't even know if it's an allegory. It's just a story about. Is that a story? Allegory story? It's just a story about fascist control and, and the control of the empire and how um, how brittle it is and the rise of the resistance and how the resistance isn't just like a bunch of valiant heroes who are like, I'm going to stop the bad guy. It's like a lot of like backdoor deals and sending people to die and blowing people up and shooting people in the head, right? I mean, it's some real Che Guevara shit. Let's just be real, right? Every time I'm like, I have a Che Guevara poster. People are like, you know, Che Guevara killed people. I'm like, yeah, I know he killed people. That's kind of how revolution goes. People die, but then people are free. And then, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's like, and then everything works out perfectly. 
we'll get back to that. But the point is, is uh, I love Andor. And what's interesting about Andor is that a lot of the same member right wingers who hated all these new Star Wars because because John Boyega was in them as a black stormtrooper. Kelly Marie Tran was part of the resistance. You have all these characters. Um, and what do all the right wingers and all those sort of like Nazis online and sort of like the angsty 13 year olds trapped in, you know, 40 year old bodies say They're like, oh, it's so woke. It's so woke. Why you gotta be woke? Just because there's people of color, right? Even though Andor, the lead is Mexican actor Diego Luna. He's literally the lead. But okay, I guess he's white. He's I mean, he's pretty white, so that doesn't read to you. He's got an accent, but that doesn't read to you. So people, so you see, like, there's there's these kinds of tweets, like, um, and this is credit to Raphael Shimonov, who's been a, a, a guest on this show, and I want to have him back soon. This is just random folks on Twitter. Um, eight episodes into Disney's Andor, and it does not suck. Minimal to no hashtag woke frivolities. Character-driven and serious. This is how it's done. When there's no women talking, that's how it's done. But there are women talking. What do you, what? Andor is the best Star Wars content of all time and fares none of this woke Mandalorian nonsense. This is someone who's got an Argentina flag in their bio, and that's just sad to me. Um, so they think the Mandalorian is woke. Why? Why? I don't get that. Anyway, the Mandalorian's great. I don't understand, like, first of all, I don't understand the critique at all. Here's a few more. Uh, it's because of the kinky girl power in ROP is unnatural. I think it's rise of the, I don't even know what that is. Andor actually had a powerful female lead that had gritty reality. Andor had strong male leadership that made sense and not woke. It was surprisingly great, except the forced lesbian couple, lazy writing. Can't win them all. Yes, there's a lesbian couple in, in Andor, but they're okay with, I, I feel like, People just like this show better, but they don't know how to say that without just calling it not woke. Like, could that be what we're talking about? Like, you didn't like the fact that maybe the the other the newer films are like an hour and a half long or two hours long. They're very Disney. There's a beginning, middle, end. It's kind of Hollywood. And yeah, it's a diverse cast. Like, is that what you're mad at? Or do you like like what? Or are you just mad that like there's a black stormtrooper? Disney went woke with and poisoned the franchise. Ander would have been huge if it was before or after Mandalorian. Well, it was after Mandalorian. I don't know what you're talking about. But Kyle uh, Bibby on Twitter points out, and I think this is brilliant. You ever notice that Andor is literally Marxist allegory, yet no one calls it woke? I guess we can narrow down a lot of those past complaints to good old-fashioned racism and sexism. And that's exactly right. Andor is about, like, the working class, the poor, rising up, being oppressed. And it's multiracial. It is, it is def, it's, yeah, it's multiracial for sure. But like the entire Star Wars, like, uh, universe is about also people being, um, discriminated against, bludgeoned, their planets being colonized. It is about racism and discrimination, but of course that's all lost. It makes me sad. Because I do feel like for some people, it's like, it's a little class reductionist. Like they look and they're like, Andor's class reductionist. And and when it's not, there's a bigger conversation to be had here about what Andor means for the broader left in the United States and elsewhere. But all to say, 
It's hella Marxist. It's the wokest shit ever. You want to talk about woke? They're straight up shooting cops. They're defunding the police. But of course, none of the trolls online will call it that. Anyway, this video is very much going to get trolled by those same people. I'm excited for everyone to debate whether or not you like Grogu or not. Do I have a baby on board sticker on my car with Grogu? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And with that, um, let me bring into the stream, the show, New York Times writer, TED Talk speaker, and so much more. His book, Go Back to Where You Came From, is out now on paperback. Get it, buy it, read it, devour it. Please welcome Wajahat Ali. Hello, hello. Uh, I am a fan of the super woke Andor as well, <laughs> starring a Latino man who takes on the empire along with a Desi lesbian woman. Yes. Uh, but apparently, yeah, I just want to like, I, for those who are triggered by it, I just want to trigger you more just to let you know that it's very unsubtle in its wokeness. And yeah. it's a big middle finger to fascism and authoritarianism. Absolutely. And like, I guess there are some people of color in the empire, but like the, the standout main characters of the empire are white. But again, like that's not really the main, that's not the main storyline. It's just, yeah. It's... it's like British white people too. So it's like, oh. oh, like Africa and like South Asia, everyone can unite. The funny thing is, is that if you, you know, I, I was talking to our, our friend Mehdi Hassan about this because uh -huh. he talked about Andor on his show. You could, it is an allegory, I think, for any anyone who is trying to resist fascism, right? Because yeah. I saw the show and immediately, even though I don't think it was intentional, it reminded me of Palestine. I've gone to Palestine, Israel three times. And I'm like, man, they really got this down cold. Right. But it could also be Ukraine. It could also be Haiti. It could also be Iraq during the war on terror, right? It could also be like any group that has the boot of oppressors on their neck. What it does to both the occupied and the occupier, right? Like the yes. banality of evil of the bureaucracy. Uh, they're not evil, but they're just kind of part of the system. And they're trying to like get ahead and like doing the, the, these double... Like schemes behind their back to get the promotion and then the heroes like you mentioned which i liked is they're not like heroes they're like broken people because that's yep. what occupation does it breaks people right and, and then what causes someone to not be selfish and become selfless and then inspire the collective to rise up and lo and behold hmm what's happening in the united states of america there was a i don't know a violent insurrection and there's a fascist movement and and there's a insane minority that wants Christian nationalism and the rest of us are using our superpowers, even though you and I don't wear capes, uh, <laughs> to do what we can. So anyway, thank you for coming to my TED talk about Andor. Yeah, no, no, no. I think that's a that's great. That's a really I think comparing it to Palestine is excellent. And and also the fact that, like, you know, in every resistance movement, we sort of we we look back on them when they are successful with these rose colored glasses and think, oh, well, you know, when, you know, you know, Gandhian movement was completely peaceful. Yeah, there was no in, in, in India when it when it was decolonized, when they were liberated, when they liberated themselves. No, there was no violence. Bullshit. There was tons of violence. Gandhi himself was, yes, uh, believed in massive movements of nonviolence, but there were people behind him and part of the liberation movement, anti-colonial movement, who were violent. There were bombs. There was, you know, there were guns. Like, you look at South Africa, same thing. Like, Nelson Mandela was not just a, you know, 100% peaceful dude. Like, he understood and you know, the ANC understood the role of militancy and in some cases, violence. 
So and also and also Mandela was described by the United States government as an extremist up until the 21st century. Yeah, it took him a while to be like, oh, we we forgot to designate him. You know, the funny thing is, I'm glad you mentioned it because when we look at like Gandhi, MLK, uh, Mandela, all these individuals, flawed people who did amazing work, they're human beings, but we'd like a sanitized, peaceful version of them, completely neutered, especially when they're men and women of color. So right. with MLK, we we just like three quotes from MLK, and we like all of our black and brown revolutionaries dead and on posters. Mm. And, and as long as they're like quiet and smiling, yeah, that's the good one. Right. And the interesting thing is, I feel like with Andor, why it's, why it's really striking in chord, in addition to being really well written, well acted, you know, good production value, it also shows you that everyone has a specific super, everyone has a role, number mm. one. Mm -hmm. Everyone can do something to resist. And the second thing which I think is really interesting is especially if you've gone to, say, Palestine or Israel, if you're in Ukraine right now, you think your money and your wealth and your power will help save you from fascism, right? Everyone made this mistake during the rise of fascists in Italy and Germany. But then what Andrew shows, spoiler alert, but don't worry, I'm not spoiling too much. <laughs> you know, the lead character of Andrew, he gets to a point where I got my money, peace out. He's having sex with this beautiful woman. He's on a beach. And the, and the kind of absurdity of the occupation and fascism is that he gets arrested for literally just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yes. He doesn't get arrested for all yes. the heinous illegal stuff he does. And then thanks to bureaucracy, he goes to prison for six years. Yes. And it, I think it was just like this very unsettled way of saying is that you cannot escape fascists. They will come for you. Yes. And I say this as we're living in the United States of America where people are like, eh, they're going after the blacks, the gays, the Asians, the shithole immigrants, the transgenders, the liberals, the women. I'll be okay because yep. I'm wealthy and I live in Aspen. And I'm like, you'll be okay as long as you bend the knee and the second you don't bend the knee, they're going to come for you as well. So I just think it was, that's also another part of it that shows that yes. what happens to people under occupation, how it perverts otherwise good people, but then how also you just need a spark and that can motivate people to fight back. Mm, I love it. Absolutely. And it, it just reminds me of, you know, Howard Zinn's you can't be neutral on a moving train. And oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can't just go to a beach town and hang out because uh, then you tried to get orange juice one morning and you got arrested for no reason. Well, Todd, Todd, who's one of your viewers, says that you would make an awesome Jedi, which, of course, makes me ask, if you were a Jedi, what would be the color of your lightsaber? <laughs> which one's the good one? I don't see. I'm not that big of a nerd. Calm down. Um, I know it wouldn't be red. That's bad saber. I want to double, obviously the indigo, because like that's my. You could do indigo. I like an indigo, and I want the you know both sides. Uh, the Darth Maul. So you want to be like the good Darth Maul indigo double saber. Thank you. Yeah, you could do that. <laughs> good Sorry, Darth we nerded Maul. out. Yeah, you went to Andor. I know. So, you know. I wasn't expecting that. Um, yeah, we gotta. Do you mind if we skip what you're bitching about, Watch? Because I feel like you just piggybacked on mine so brilliantly even though I know you've got a lot to bitch about, but you also have limited time. Um, and let's just jump into the first story. Do it. Let's do it. Um, by the way, uh, if you're just joining us, I didn't write the weekly roundup, but a lot of things happen. I also have a nine week old baby and uh, that precludes me from giving the fullest extent of my brain uh, every Monday and Tuesday, but uh, my bad, and um, I hope you'll enjoy these stories. Nevertheless, this is the week where. So 
So this was the week where we learned that not only is the Supreme Court uh, just a body made up of religious zealots with the best job security on earth, um, but that uh, a few of them are in fact more corrupt than we initially thought, not just how they got there, who they clerked for, um, you know, what the Heritage Foundation uh, grooming them to be where they've gotten, but, but that the corruption is ongoing, even yeah. while they're on the bench. I'm not talking about Clarence Thomas's wife, Ginny Thomas, and, you know, her release the Kraken, big lie uh, co collaboration, but but beyond that, and and this is this happened this week, um, where a former religious right operative, Kern whistleblower named Reverend Rob Shank, um, spoke out uh, in in a congressional hearing, um, to and discussed his role in literally directly helping to offer favors, dinners, um, you know, and and like private like trips two Supreme Court justices in exchange for their rulings around um, Dobbs, around uh, abortion rights, around LGBTQ plus um, same-sex marriage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. His group was Faith and Action. And I'm very curious, like, what happened to him? We could talk about that later. But let's just give, bring you up, everyone up to speed about what happened. So as we know, in the summer, the Dobbs decision comes down. But before it comes down, which effectively repeals Roe v. Wade, hmm. there was a leak. And everyone's like, well, where did this leak come from? Who leaked it? What happened? And there were some thoughts that maybe, maybe someone in, you know, Sam Alito's office or maybe himself, he himself had something to do with the leak. It has not been proven. And of course, Justice Roberts was the one to investigate it, which is strange. Mm -hmm. um, again, all cops investigate themselves. I guess Supreme Court members are the same. Um, and so Rob Shank sends a letter to Justice Roberts saying, look, I think it might be Alito because I knew about the Hobby Lobby decision in 2014, which prevented, um, which basically Hobby Lobby said, we believe that the ACA should not cover birth control and it is our religious right to deny our employees yep. coverage of their birth control in terms of that aspect of medical care. Um, I knew about that beforehand. In fact, I lobbied around that. And so let's look at, here's the letter, and then let's look at what he has to say. So he made the Hobby Lobby leak allegation a letter sent to Chief Justice John Roberts in July as a part of Roberts' investigation into the leak of Alito's full decision overturning Roe in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. That's exactly what I just said. Um, so in interviews, he said he was told the outcome of the 2014 case that's the Hobby Lobby case, weeks before it was announced. He used that information to prepare a public relations push record show. And he said that at the last minute, he tipped off the president of Hobby Lobby, the craft store chain owned by Christian evangelicals, that it was the winning, that it was winning the party in the case. Um, the Times investigated says that there was a few um, breach. There's sort of his account has some gaps, but there's a trail of contemporaneous emails and conversations that strongly suggest he did know the outcome and the author of the Hobby Lobby decision before it was made public. Now, why are Alito's fingerprints all over this? Well, because both court decisions were triumphs for conservatives and the religious right, and both majority opinions were written by Justice Sam Alito Jr. But the leak of the draft opinion overturning the constitutional right to an abortion was disclosed in the news media by Politico, setting off a national uproar. And with Hobby Lobby, according to Mr. Shank, the outcome was shared with only a handful of advocates. So he had internal knowledge. Um, and here he is testifying before Congress 
And this is, it's just two minutes, but he explains why he was in a position to get that private, to be privy to that exclusive knowledge like uh, the Hobby Lobby decision. Operation Higher Court involved my recruitment of wealthy donors as stealth missionaries who befriended justices that shared our conservative social and religious sensibilities. In this way, I aimed to show these justices that Americans supported them and thanked God for their presence on the court and the opinions they rendered. Our overarching goals were to gain insights into the conservative justices' thinking and to shore up their resolve to render solid, unapologetic opinions, particularly against abortion. I called this our ministry of emboldenment. It was not an attempt to change minds. Beyond convivial small talk, our missionaries did not engage liberal members of the court. My recruits for Operation Higher Court were older, highly accomplished, and independently minded. They did not take kindly to being told where to go, what to do, or how to do it. Successfully deploying them required their autonomy. I did suggest tactics to cultivate affinity, but otherwise our folks were on their own. Most of them limited their support to regular prayers on behalf of the justice's family, warm personal greetings and assurances of goodwill at social functions, and sending greeting cards on special occasions. But they might also host justices or their spouses for meals at restaurants, private clubs, or their homes, and sometimes the justices reciprocated. The Hobby Lobby leak resulted from one of these arrangements. Throughout this ordeal, I've had to look deeply at what my cohorts and I did at the Supreme Court. I believe we pushed the boundaries of Christian ethics and compromised the High Court's promise to administer equal justice. So there he is explaining how this relationship works. The last thing before I kick it to you, Wajat Hutt, is he says that Justice Clarence Thomas actually, like, he met with him. Yeah. And Thomas was like, uh, keep it up. You're doing a great job. What you're doing has an impact. In other words, we love the lobbying. Keep buying me a steak dinner. Send me to Aspen. I want, you know, I, I love all the exclusive um, care packages. And uh, I'll scratch your back when it's time. So the grooming of Supreme Court justices, yeah. uh, right? Uh, the stealth missionaries. It reminds me of the kind of quid pro quo, wink, wink relationship that pharmaceutical companies have with doctors. I married up, my wife is a doctor, and she tells me about these perks and packages that they get. Uh, and a lot of these, their fellow doctors go, my wife is always very curious about it because it's kind of implicit. We're buying your vote. Mm -hmm. We're like kind of buying your loyalty to this prescription drug. And oh, we'll just happen to invite you and your wife to this amazing five day, like, you know, wonderful trip. Uh, no questions asked. You, you don't have to do anything. Just come and listen to us. And human nature and the type of social circles, especially that right wing travels in, it's an incestuous social circle. Yes. I use the word grooming on purpose. We have a huge story that everyone forgets about that Leonard Leo, who is this conservative kingmaker who has helped create the Federalist Society, which is a school to Supreme Court pipeline for right wing extremists. Right. Mm -hmm. He just got a billion dollars, Francesca, from Barry Said, like a right wing conservative donor through dark money, a billion dollars to reshape 
the future of American courts for at least the next 20, 30 years, right? So this has been a 40-year process. They, they identify talent in law school, conservative talent. They pick them. They groom them. They then get them in the law school where they make them the leaders and they get them good, cozy jobs like Brett Kavanaugh, who helped come up with some of the most gross, salacious, pervy questions for Bill Clinton during the impeachment. Then they end up clerking for, oh, wait for it, conservative Supreme Court justices. And then when it's time for them to retire, guess who comes in and gets chosen? Gorsuch, Thomas, uh, Barrett and others. So Mm -hmm. this is a situation where I believe and I just retweeted this, that this should be huge news. In addition to what you said, Ginny Thomas being completely corrupt AF, Samuel Alito making a mockery of the court, and Justice Roberts was so pissed. He was so angry that he promised an investigation. But once word came out that, oh, Alito might have been the one that to leak it. Mm-hmm. And now this comes out where this guy's literally telling you, yo, I'm, I'm straight up telling you, uh, I'm like a James Bond villain giving you a slideshow of our plan. Crickets. It's a completely compromised court. Yes with six extremist uh, judges in black robes who have a lifetime appointment, who have just taken away a 50-year constitutional protected right. And I believe one of the mistakes that Democrats made while they still had the House is they should have aggressively investigated Ginny and Clarence Thomas and brought this to the forefront because you have one of the three major bodies that is completely corrupt. Absolutely. And what what are we going to do? We can't do anything about it outside of reforming and expanding the court. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't I don't foresee us doing that. Right. And um, and I think, you know, in this lame duck session, I agree that they should have gone farther with Ginny Thomas. I I wonder what the Jan 6 committee um, really learned by interviewing Mm. her. I don't know, actually, the current standing of that. Maybe we'll find out in the final chapter, the final act, I believe, the summation of it. But it's it's like the Ginny Thomas stuff is over here. This is straight up, we're buying and selling Supreme Court justices. Yep. Now we knew this happened, you know, with, with elected officials on every single level, Congress people with dark money, like you just mentioned. But again, this, and I don't know, maybe it's like my like, you know, well, once you get to the Supreme Court, then you stop the corruption. You know, <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of yep. like once you you know, convert to this religion, then, it, you know, you you suddenly are a good person. Like, no, 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 you just do all the same things and you absolve yourself because you're the highest law on the land. And they're getting away with this um, openly. This isn't just, I mean, the pipeline that yeah. you mentioned, you could argue like, okay, but it's a foundation and yeah, it's a billion dollars, but you know, it's a, just a, it's a nonprofit and you know, and they, they, they groom, but they really support the young apprenticeships. You know, you could argue that this is just straight up favors. These are open favors for decisions and the leak, who cares about the leak? It's the actual substance of the decision that we're talking about. Um, and, and if you think this is in the past, right, this just happened this week. Um, where this is a, a tweet from Victor Shi who says, not kidding here, Brett Kavanaugh, sitting Supreme Court justice, was partying with Matt Gates, Stephen Miller, Sebastian Gorka, Eric Prince, and more right-wing extremists the other day. How can anyone look at these Republican mm. Supreme Court justices and take them seriously anymore? So apparently there was a holiday party. This has been confirmed by uh, a couple other sources, but that there was a holiday party. And look at all these folks. You've got the who's who, the Eric Prince, again, Blackwater, uh, um, the DeVos family prince, Sebastian Gorka, I don't know where the hell he's doing these days, Steve Trumper, Stephen Miller, Matt Gates, and of course Kavanaugh. They're all just the it is again, like you what did you call it? An incestuous soup? It's a 
it's an incestuous ecosystem. And I think that's what people sometimes forget about the right wing, right? What they don't realize it's, it's a small, deeply connected group of individuals, funders, donors, activists, politicians. They go to the same churches. They go to the same country clubs and, you know, human nature, right? If these are your buddies and your pals and your friends and you owe them favors, well, those favors then extend to when you sit as a congressperson or a president or on the Supreme Court, you advance their agendas, you protect your own tribe, mm-hmm. and you can then be corrupt with impunity. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you rationalize it. And the way they rationalize it, which is so dangerous, we are here on a mission from God. Yes. God has sanctioned this behavior, and God is telling us that we must smite and smote. Maybe it's a smiting, or we must engage in the smoting, uh, smoting of these sure. transgender, atheist, socialist, liberal, deep state members. And so we are forced to engage in such behavior because it's a zero-sum game, us versus them. And God has told us that we have to put the kingdom of God on earth. It is Christian nationalism, which, by the way, helped influence many of the violent insurrectionists. Another thing we don't talk about because it's white Christians. Yep. And these folks who are part and parcel of this extremist movement are sitting with black robes in charge of your uterus, Francesca. Yeah. So oh, other they than are. that, I mean, it's all good. Yeah, Alito has scrawled his name uh on my fallopian tubes gross uh sorry i just all your eggs belong to them pretty much i mean and i think that we don't not we you and i understand this people listening and watching understand this but i think a lot of media outlets and still pretend that this is not the case that these aren't extremists Mm. that these are somehow Mm. they're just conservatives they're extremists funded by billionaires. I like they really are, you know, handmaid's tale Christian nationalists like uh psychos. They're psychos. And I don't know, I guess last question for you is what hope do you see? You know, there's a razor thin majority for Republicans in the House. The Senate has been, you know, I guess a solidly Democrat now. But do you think Biden's gonna budge on some kind of Supreme Court reform? expansion discussion they're going to keep striking his stuff down yeah i i am hopeful because we have the majority and going back to the andor analogy bring it full circle uh there's strength in numbers and i think everyone has a role to play and every one of us belongs in different institutions where if we put the pressure and we're loud we see those people who are the gatekeepers of these institutions they have to now reform just like Biden and and Democrats in order to court our vote. For example, abortion, right? Mm -hmm. Once that abortion decision came out, if you remember, even though Democrats had a one month lead up, they're like, well, send us five bucks and let's pray. But then you saw enough people say, F this, we demand action. Tell us exactly what you're going to do. And now you see Biden saying, okay, okay, if you give me the majority, I'm going to give you this. Same thing with calling out uh, the Republican Party as fascist, right? When Biden kind of said, oh, they're semi-fascist at a fundraiser, he saw that the response from the majority was like, this is the fight we need. And yes. they're like, oh, maybe I should double down. So don't underestimate the power of the collective, the power of our voice. What I always tell people is we have the numbers. And, and the last thing I'll say, because I know we gotta, we're running out of time, is Republicans are incestuous. They're well-funded, deeply connected. They wake up every day with a zealous zero-sum mindset. When it comes to school boards, they've been trying to intimidate all of us at a local level. The win here is that when the majority at local level says F this and actually meets them, they always lose. So if we organize our collective rage and anger and push forward for very popular policies, Francesca, they're not liberal policies, paid parental leave, 
taxing the rich, affordable health care. Mainstream American likes it, but we need champions to voice it. And every single person has a role to play, especially in their local communities. Mm. That's a good way to end this segment. <clears throat> Let's move on to one more thing before we bring Blake in. This will be, oh, I have so much to say. This will be quick. Maybe I'll, I'll save some of my commentary for the bonus. Um, but uh, this week, uh, Dave Chappelle uh, was in San Francisco for a couple of shows. Uh, Dave often rolls up to San Francisco and bumps a bunch of club comics and then sells out that club. <laughs> um, he tried. I'm from the Bay. He used to do that a lot. Yeah. I remember. Oh, he does it. Yes. Same. And I remember as well. There's a lot of, uh, I, I don't know why he wants to try out all his like transphobic material on um, ostensibly a very pro LGBTQ plus community. I mean, at least it once was, uh, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. Um, there he is selling out shows and he decided to bring on stage for a, just a little, Hey, what's up? A good friend mm. of his, actually someone who he's been pictured with before someone who he did not bring up to mock or make fun of. He brought up as a show of, um, look who I roll with and look who are, my friends are. Um, and that is Mr. Elon Musk. Uh, the, let me get you in here. The, of course, as he introduced him, richest man in the world. Take a look at what happened when he brought Elon on stage. <laughs> I don't want to hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the richest man in the world. The richest man in the world. Elon raises his arms and listens. Lots of booze. And then one guy who's just kind of clapping. <laughs> near the camera. This was so beautiful. So it gets clearly awkward. They don't even know what to say. Like my question is, what was the bit? And we could talk like, what was what was supposed to happen? Because they're just kind of meandering. They don't know what to say. Cheers and booze, I say. Elon. Booze. It's still awkward. Controversy, buddy. What expecting this, were you? It sounds like some of them people you fired are in the audience. That gets a laugh. So it sounds like some of the people you fired are in the audience, which definitely. Hey, wait a minute. Those are your boys. Tough on the head, I sounds like. But you know there's one thing. All those people are booing, and I'm just I'm just pointing out the obvious. You have terrible seats. <laughs> okay, so it goes on. I won't play anymore, but he says all of those who are booing, I'm just pointing it out, have terrible seats. In other words, and then he says they're they're all up there. In other words, you guys are poor. You're you you paid for my show, but you didn't have enough money to get a good seat, and now you're mad at Elon, but because of course, and it's just like the layers 
of like elitism is so yeah. insane. It continued a little bit. I'm just going to show you that, you know, Elon, um, Elon says, Dave, what should I say? Um, Musk says, clearly desperate and getting embarrassed at the roar of booing. Uh, Chappelle said, don't say nothing. It'll only spoil the moment. Do you hear that sound, Elon? That's the sound of pending civil unrest. I can't wait to see what store you decimate next, motherfucker. You shut the fuck up. Uh, and then he, Chappelle started yelling and defending. That, that sounds like he was making fun of Elon, but he was actually sort of telling people to shut up. Um, the mood in the stadium definitely changed when Chappelle started to to get hostile in defense of Musk. I wish everyone in this auditorium peace and the joy of feeling free, Chappelle said, which is a weird thing to say. And your pursuit of happiness, amen. Um, he was making, he would jo say jokes about, he was like talking about um, uh, Mars and going to space. Um, Elon says, thanks for having me up on stage. Um, but ev as for the last laughs for Chappelle's jokes would get drowned out by the booze anytime Musk tried to talk. And the comedian said the people could boo all they want because Musk had given him a jetpack last Christmas. But every single time Musk began to speak, the crowd started booing again, much to the frustration of Musk. And Musk himself on Twitter addressed it, said, I'm used to being booed, uh, but usually online, not in person. Huh? This awkward exchange also ended with Musk yelling, I'm rich, bitch, which is uh, the slogan for the Chappelle show, at least his production company. It was so cringe. And I, I think that was overused. But my God, you could just relish. You could just, I could feel the cringe oozing just from playing that. Um, and it's like, yeah, man, what are you doing? It's bad enough that you that everything comes out of Chappelle's mouth people will just lap that shit up doesn't matter who he throws under That's the right. bus doesn't matter how transphobic it is they lap it up because they're told Chappelle equals best comedian who ever lived and so I'm gonna pay $200 to go to, to the show and I'm gonna laugh at anything but Elon Elon's a little bit of a bridge too far the rich are their own tribe. And I think that was a very powerful reminder for everyone. People forget that. You know, George Carlin, God bless him, if he was still alive, he said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. And we ain't in Dave Chappelle's club. Dave yeah. Chappelle is a rich man. And Dave Chappelle is a comedian who I followed his entire career. Uh, I think he's brilliant. The problem with Dave Chappelle, though, and when I'm worried about him, is that once you get to a specific place like Elon, where you're rich and powerful, you need a safe space. And they have a safe space surrounded by psychophants and yes men yes who applaud and laugh at everything they do and then they are told that they're the greatest people on earth and once they leave that safe space and then encounter the majority then they get oh i don't know a democratic response where people use their free speech to tell them how they really feel and then they go back to their safe space and punch down elon Musk did it on twitter like you said like he he's he clearly was rattled he was not expecting that yeah and i think dave because he's so used to this type of adulation, you know. Same thing, and the, like, and the last thing I'll say is that it's so funny because when Dave walked away from $50 million from Comedy Central, he walked away because he felt himself, he said he felt himself being surrounded by yes men, by sycophants. He didn't know whether people actually thought he was funny or if they were just sort of laughing at him for the sake of it. He didn't know who the joke was for or on, and he had to get, like go get his mind right. And let me just say, he's been needing another trip for a while now um, because the guy is so out of touch with reality. Mm.
Any laughing at us now, to be honest. They're yeah. all laughing at us. Yes. We have to bring in um, my guest, uh, who also has an out. Everyone's so busy today, um, but that's okay. We have him for the next 15 minutes. The director of a new documentary out on MSNBC this Saturday, also streaming on Peacock. It's called Lone Wolves. Please welcome Blake Zeff. Hey. What's going on, Blake? I was listening to you guys. Can I can I chime in on this thing with Chappelle? Sure. It's I mean, the other thing to keep in mind, because you were just like kind of hinting at this, is think about the crowd who's there. This is not like a so-called politically correct crowd. This is a crowd that's there to see Dave Chappelle. And even they are just like so uninterested in Elon Musk. Yeah. It's a Bay Area crowd too, right? A Bay Area crowd that, by the way, those cheap seats ain't cheap. Right. No. No, they're definitely not. No, and like, and it's also huge. People drove very far and wide. It's not just the Bay crowd. I mean, the Bay is big. So people drove in from wherever to go see him. And 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 it's also, it, it reminds you of like, oh, Twitter isn't real. Twitter, the reply guys, all the bots who love Elon, all the Tesla and SpaceX fans, those aren't real fucking people. Real fucking people, they might they like stand-up comedy. They might laugh at a at a, a fucked up joke, but they generally do not like the richest man on earth who is is just a walk like has done nothing. Chappelle at least had a moment. Elon never had that moment. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so so give us something, Elon, because you haven't given a shit and nobody can afford a Tesla and you ain't getting to Mars. Um Blake, you have a documentary out. Tell me about, tell us about Lone Wolves, um, which really dives into and breaks down student debt in this country. Um, I guess maybe just like the process for making it and like, like how relevant it is now. Um, this is just sort of an open question, but I really want to hammer down on other things. Okay. Um, but yeah, tell me, tell me about the doc. Yeah, so to people watching, the first thing I want to say is this might sound boring and accessible, sad, because you hear the topic. I want to be clear that we're trying to be funny with this, entertaining. There's a whodunit involved. Francesca, you know, so good. this, um, so we really try to, you'll have a fun time. Check it out. Um, it's great. And if you don't like it, hit me up on Twitter and you'll get your money back guaranteed if you watch <laughs> it for free. Um, so here's the here's the idea. Basically, I watched my wife had, you know, incurred a huge amount of student debt. You know, she went to grad school to become a psychologist. She wanted to work with veterans, work at the VA hospital. Uh, seemed like a nice thing that society might try to encourage. She graduates with about $200,000 in student debt, and she's paying about $2,000 a month to a point where it's really hard to keep up with the payments and do that job. And so because of this system, she can no longer stay doing that job, which I think is not good for society. <clears throat> but forget about us. Like, we're not the face of this problem, but we're going to be okay. I started thinking, you know, as I, as I looked at what she was going through, the fine print was insane. They'd sent her notices claiming she hadn't paid what she had. We saw stuff about compounding interest, which for people watching who are like, what's compounding interest? Because I was wondering what the hell it was. Yeah. That's basically, they will put interest on your interest. So let's say you, you have a normal loan, you pay the principal, and there's like a little bit of interest. If you miss a, a student loan payment, let's say, they'll start doing compounding interest where your interest will be exponentially higher. And so you get to a place where people are paying their loans every month, but their debt is still getting higher and higher and higher. So having said all that, seeing what my wife was going through again, not, not because she's the, you know, the biggest victim, but learning about this, when I discovered that there were 45 million people with student debt in this country, which basically is like 
if it's not you, it's someone you know. Yeah. I, I, you know, I looked into this more and the more I dug into this, guys, the more crazy it got. The things, the tricks that the lenders do. But broadly, just the main thing I'll say is in this country, what do we tell young people? Work hard, go to school, you'll have a good life. These are 17 year olds, 18 year olds. We tell them to work hard and do that. And it's a false promise because what happens is they get smacked with these huge amounts of loan papers that they don't understand. They're 17 years old. I would barely understand them now. They're told yep. you'll get a good job when you graduate. Don't worry, you'll pay it down. And that's not what happens. And you have people with 10,000, 50,000, $150,000 of debt, and it crushes them for a lifetime. And the promise yeah. that they were sold was a false bill of goods. And it's just, it's devastating. Let's stop and just ask. Okay, so your wife wanted to work with vets, obviously, um, just so lucrative. I mean, truly just, just making it rain every day. But who did you talk to other than folks like your wife? What professions did they have? And what does the crushing student debt mean for their professional career? Yeah, there's this guy named Scott, first in his, in his family to go to college. And he wanted to be a teacher. Great thing to, to want to do. And he reached his dream of becoming a teacher. He, um, he got his master's degree. And those masters, this is the other thing. People here, grad students. I see some people on Twitter. I see some really annoying columnists. Won't name them right now. Some annoying <laughs> economists. You know who they are. Who say, who assume that grad students are either rich or have the potential to be rich. So we should treat them like they're rich. Mm -hmm. Crazy story for you. Not everyone who goes to law school wants to defend oil companies. Some of them actually want to be public defenders. Some of them want to be civil work in civil rights or immigration. Um, you know. This guy's a teacher. He had to get his master's degree. His $35,000 loan quickly became $150,000 in debt because of compounding interest. I want to make a point that I hope is not boring to people, but is very important. The government made some programs in the 90s called income-based repayment and public service loan forgiveness. You might have heard of this, especially if you have debt and you're watching. Those programs, by and large, did not work. People were paying into these programs in many cases and getting kicked out of the program. 99% of people at one point who were, who were trying to get into public service loan forgiveness eventually were kicked out for one reason or another. They're very onerous requirements. They make you re-demonstrate your income every year, but people don't know that. Lots of stuff. And I will say the Biden administration has tried to clean that up. But having said that, Scott was a teacher. His debt is now $150,000. It got to the point where he felt like he couldn't provide for his family. He started to feel a lot of shame. He pulls over to the side of the road one day into a, into a hotel parking lot and decides he's going to take his life. And he calls his wife. His wife talks him down. I get seriously still emotional about this because I, you know, after you work on these projects with people, you really get to know them. He, his wife talked him down off the ledge and he decided that he's going to rededicate his life and he's going to, you know, not let this weigh him down. And he, in the movie, we have a scene where he tears up his papers and he burns them. And for him, mm. it's very uplifting and empowering because he said, I'm never going to get rid of these debts. Screw it. So that's Scott. Can I tell you about one yeah. other person? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Wajahad, I know you have an experience too. <laughs> oh, well, let's hear your experience. Yeah. No, I was. Yeah. No, I mean it's a similar experience. You mentioned law school, right? I went to law school. I was poor when I went to law school. I went to law school not to work for corporations, but try to do some good work. Uh, graduate from law school from UC Davis. I was a you know California guy, so this was before the uh, the tuition went up. In my final year, the tuition starts going up. I graduate with relatively low a debt, like total maybe 55, right? Mm -hmm. Or 50. Uh, 2008, economic crisis happens. FML, can't get a job because, you know, the legal industry was the first one decimated. 
you know, helping my family because of the interest rate, which I'm glad you mentioned because people don't talk about. If they had just capped the interest rate, I'd be okay. But I couldn't make those payments because I had to survive and take care of my family. Right. So meanwhile, the interest keeps going up on the monthly payments that I can't pay. They don't pause it. They don't give me any reprieve. I now have to pay $66,000. Now I'm in my 30s. I'm married. And I'm just trying to pay off the interest. And now finally, in the past few years, now that I've got a little bit of FME money, mm -mm. I'm using that FME money to actually pay off the student loan debt. And I've made a crack. And I'll, I'll gladly share with people because people think you're like sitting on money. I'm finally, finally able to bring it down to $35,000 14 years after graduating from law school. Yeah. <sighs> no. Yeah. No, that's insane. And you're not a practicing lawyer. I'm I'm a loser writer who decided to become a self-employed writer, and and I'm no. a failure to all immigrant parents. No. Yes, but everybody buy go back where you come came from on paperback out now. <laughs> no, but and and Blake, I because we don't have that much time, I did want to just um, ask you. Well, first of all, obviously we know it's not all lesbian dance theory. Just want to get that in there, as Lauren Bobert said. Um, but just talk about the the bankruptcy issue and you because your doc is so it's fun and it's like investigative but in a like a very lighthearted way and you try to figure out who the hell put in to this education reform act in the that clinton signed and then in whatever 98 the stipulation that you cannot declare bankruptcy on your student loans but you can literally de declare bankruptcy for anything else um you get to the bottom of it I do. This is crazy. And as a lawyer, even a non-practicing lawyer, I think you're going to be like, what? Um, in 1998, two lines were slipped into a 300-page bill, okay? Two lines into a 300-page bill that basically said, it was legal mumbo-jumbo, so the average person wouldn't even know what it says, but the right. result of it was that you cannot discharge your federal student loans in bankruptcy with very few exceptions, something called undue hardship. And everyone thinks they have undue hardship, but the courts don't think we have undue hardship. The courts basically say, unless you have serious cancer, you basically can't do it. We could go to Vegas tonight, the three of us, and lose $10 million gambling. We could discharge that debt in bankruptcy, not student federal student loans. And so I wanted to reach out to the politician at the time who put that in. I thought, you know, maybe student debt wasn't as big of a crisis back then. Maybe they didn't realize what they were doing. And maybe now they'll change their mind and feel bad about it. We couldn't no one put their name to it. No one would cop to it. We couldn't find the person. So all of a sudden I'm like, this is even crazier. So the yeah. movie in some part turns into a whodunit where I'm just trying to track down who the hell put in these two lines. Eventually I find this person. I will tell you people, this is so insane. I end up face to face with a truck driver in Colorado. You have to watch it to find out why the hell that's the case. Okay. But, okay. But it's kind of crazy. And this person's not backing down. He called, he said, you know, he calls me a damn fool. I think it's a really fun confrontation for people to watch. Um, but the last thing I'll say about this is there is a bill that would change this. Dick Durbin has a bill that jo that John Cornyn is a co-sponsor of, but why isn't it moving? So I go and talk to Durbin. I talk to Schumer. Durbin says, well, I can't do anything because Sh Schumer has to give me floor time. I talk to Schumer and he doesn't really know that much about the bill. And by the time I finished talking to him, he's like, okay, I'm for it. I go back to Durbin and tell him, okay, Schumer's for this. It's like, you know, the one doesn't necessarily know what the other is doing. You guys have to watch it. This is sort of about student loans, but honestly, the movie is really about our crazy democracy. Yes. Meanwhile, 45 million people have debt. Um, and we have to be do the runaround when, you know, Biden wants to alleviate 20,000, you know, which is 
you know, it's less than the average. It's something. It's a start. But like Schumer doesn't even know that this is sitting there. Ugh. And how many times is I mean, your doc also is like council the times Trump briefly has declared bankruptcy. What is it? Six, seven? Yeah, something like that. It's like six or seven. I mean, that was Disgusting. for his business. But um, yeah, this um, again, I just want to tell people, give it a try. It will not be. There's some sad moments. There are some like you're going to learn some stuff, but we really try to make it a fun ride. And it's on Peacock now. It'll be on MSNBC this Saturday night at 10. Lone Wolves, Saturday at 10. Streaming on Peacock, guys. That's, uh, first of all, World Cup on Peacock. Now I'm just promoting Peacock for no reason. Um, <laughs> Blake Zeff on Peacock. Um, Waj, any final thoughts on this? Yeah, look, uh, it's, we're fine with helping people, right, when it's the rich. Socialism for the rich, the 2008 economic crisis, they're too big to fail, even though they failed us. They all get to fail up with stock options and money. When it comes to tax cuts for the rich, it's fine. When it comes to PPP loans for Brett Favre and Tom Brady oh, and wasting that money, it's fine. But when it comes to 45 million people who are trying their best, who believe in the American dream and went to the American education system, and they're trying to pay back their loans, I've always wanted, I'm going to pay back my loans before I die, inshallah. Just make it easier, right? Predatory loans, insane interest, not giving us any help. And then when people say, you should have taken a better loan, you should have known better as a 23-year-old. Uh, but meanwhile, all these people who apparently know better get to screw the rest of us and then get rewarded, right? I think that's an asymmetry here and we should call it out. And it's the job of the government to help its people. And if you have people who can use that money instead of paying off interest to their student loan debts, they will give that money to the economy. They'll buy homes. They'll get married. They'll have kids. Yes. It'll be better for capitalism. It costs you nothing. It costs them nothing. Exactly. And of course, it would be better for capitalism. And it's, it's just insane that these are the same kids who, I mean, like you're saying, when they try to put their degrees into practice, it was a 2008 crisis or crash. Um, it's just perfectly timed. Um, anywho. Uh, Blake Zeff, Lone Wolves, everybody watch this doc. I it's so it really is well done. It's so crystal clear. And if you have anyone who's like, you should pay back what you took. Oh, you're so irresponsible. Send them this documentary. Um, let them know because it will they will change their mind when it's done. Blake, thank you for joining me. Be very, very well. And Wajahad, I think we have to say goodbye to you as well. Um, I mean, I'm here for seven or eight minutes if you need me. But if you want to kick me out, I can leave. I can, no, I want I'm you. Happy. I I'm, want I'm, you. I'm like that. I'm like that guy who gets the plus one invite to parties. I'm just happy that like I was near earshot, <laughs> and then the up. person looks at you and you're like, "Oh, Warbalot, you can also come." And I'm like, "Thank you." Wow. No, no, no. Um, I want you here for eight minutes. Let's do this, Kirsten Cinema. Oh, uh, uh. she's Sorry. in. Wow. Wow. Uh. Such disrespect. Um, that's just for her outfits, people. Um, she is an independent now, you guys. Everyone shake your hair extra because Kirsten Cinema won't be held back by the Democratic Party. Was she ever? Um, and now she is a, just an independent contractor. So this is, we're imagining she, when she finally leaves the Senate, because she, I don't think she's getting reelected. What would Kirsten Cinema be better suited to do? This is Independent Contractor. I, in thinking about what I, and I still haven't put my finger on it, what she would be better suited for. Cause she's sort of one of my like, you know, like I, I need her to go down the memory shoot of, of reality, like Trump, mm. like what, what is the future of him? And just like memory shoot, memory shoot, memory shoot. But Kirsten Cinema was 
a social worker at some point, Wajahat. Mm. She she started off as a fairly decent person. And she was only sworn into the Senate in 2019, elected in 2018. She's, I believe I might have even made calls for her in 2018. Mm. Oh, talk about wanting to like, feeling disgusting. What is it about the Senate? Do they give you a welcome packet? And it's like, here is just, it's all hundreds. <laughs> Please uphold the status quo. You know, to, to bring it all back full circle and to quote Star Wars, Kristen Cinema is all the Karens. Every problematic yes. white woman on earth is, is Kristen Cinema. And I believe, I've been saying this for two years, just based on her behavior and her actions, she was building herself a golden parachute. And she grew up poor. She grew up very poor. Mm. And there are some people who, when they go through hardship and they come out the other side, instead of helping the rest of the folks come and taste the rainbow, they stomp on us. And I feel like she's one of those who says, I'll never be poor again. I think she's very smart. She knows exactly what she's doing. She realizes life is better when you suck up to corporate money. Uh, and just like, you know, people like Chappelle and Musk and others, they don't, instead of listening to, to criticism, they shut down because they have a type of superiority. So she thinks she's better than us. Yes. She thinks the rest of us are incapable of seeing bipartisanship. Only she is the real maverick. She's leaning into it. She's getting buttered up by these corporate interests. I believe when she leaves, which might be, by the way, at the end of her term, because if she doesn't win, she's going to F up that seat and give it to a Republican, right? Uh, split the vote. I've said this and people laugh, but really think about it. I think she will become a host on The View. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. I, this is like record for how many times we can gag during a segment. Because you might be right. Because, I mean, we understand television, right? What works is someone who, look, Megan McCain Yes, we all hated her, but my God, she got the click, she got the views, the sort of the Whoopi McCain moments. And so having just a sniveling a-hole like Kirsten Cinema, um, with her like weird pink midlife crisis wigs um, constantly every day with this contrarian ass point of view, just loaded with money. Totally the view. Totally. Like, I mean, people are always like, Francesca, you should be on The View, which is very funny because it makes me, it sounds like my mom when my mom's like, you should be on The Daily Show. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, cool. I'll just do it. Um, you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, like all immigrant parents. What's wrong with you? How come you're not on The Daily Show? Right. Why, don't, why don't you replace <laughs> Trevor Noah? Well, they've got, a, yeah, they've got other immigrants making other parents proud. Um, but yeah, I, in, in, in a way, she is so perfectly suited for where she is. But I think that's really interesting like there is in in all kinds of you know sort of marginalized groups you know people of color immigrants women um working class poor folks when they achieve a certain amount of um like notoriety there's two options there is i'm going to be true to my roots and sort of uplift where i come from and then there's the i'm going to use my life experience to callously throw that community under the bus um and i'm going to be a candace owens you know i'm going to um say like well i'm the one black friend that is a Republican or whatever it is, you know what I mean? That that thinks black people are lazy. See, I said it, that kind of thing. And I feel like you've just named that for Kirsten Cinema's roots. Um, I use it a little bit as a moment to dunk on the Green Party, even though she was never elected as a Green Party candidate, she switched to becoming a Democrat. Um, but yeah, she's fully, okay, so I, I just have to shout out someone who's got a good answer to this. Um, 
Calm Like a Bomb on Twitch says she's a reality show wedding planner. Yes. And can you imagine how uggo that wedding would be? How Hot Topic meets Claire's accessories, which that is what I think she should do is be she should be a buyer for Hot Topic and or Claire's. I think that's like her style is clearly like from Claire's accessories. Um, if she would, she, she if she could, she would wear like a Hot Topic shirt for like, I don't know what band it would be. I don't know, like Slipknot or something. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining her. That's a good reference. That's a good mom reference. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just, but no. A classic, a classic from back in the day. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, no, for sure. I was going to. Gen Z is Googling Slipknot right now. No, no, no. I was going to say BTS. She would also like wear like a <laughs> BTS shirt. Uh, I know, I know my K-pop, but where does she belong? Like what happens to her? What should, what should her life sh her life could have been so different. She could, you know, she could have done the right thing. I mean, she represents Arizona, a state of Barry Goldwater, who helped introduce the Southern strategy. And the fact that Democrats are holding with her and Kelly and are flipping it right. And the fact that it's becoming purple, uh, she could have been a champion yes. of the working class. Yes. She could have been a champion of this diverse coalition that put her into office. Yes. And she could have rode off into the sunset, her and Kelly, like, transforming Arizona, this deeply racist political place where they didn't even recognize Martin Luther King's holiday. You guys remember that? Like the NFL had God. to boycott them. And then they finally came around. I think it was the early 90s. So that's what we're dealing with. And instead, she's like, you know what? I'm going to choose whiteness and wealth. Yep. Peace out, people of color. I'm going to be the alpha Karen. Yep. There you go. Yes. And again, just to re rehash this, payday lenders, finance and credit and for-profit education, she was a top recipient of their campaign cash in 2021 20 to 2022. And she has been basically undermining Biden's agenda for now two years. Yep. Um, and there you go. Voting down the minimum federal, the minimum wage. And doing it in style wage. just to mock us. Remember that she knew she was being uh, recorded. She comes in, does a curtsy uh, in honor of McCain, who, by the way, did it to save Obamacare, yes. she does it to kill the rising of wages. I, I don't like I'm so fucking disgusted. And ultimately, my, my point, I've, I've said this a number of times, but I just come back to the Senate. Like, I think that no one person and specifically the Senate has far too much power and, and individual senators have way too much power. It's not a representative body. Six years, I believe, is too long, actually. Um, and and there should be term limits. Oh, my God, Dianne Feinstein. But I don't think she's going to be reelected. I think she might split the vote in Arizona, but I think she might split it like in favor of Democrats. I think. Right. If she if she wanted to split it to spoil Democrats, wouldn't she just run as a Democrat and see who she could pick off and who, you know, what mindless fool would still vote for her? Um, TBD. Um, good fucking riddance. Not that the party needs, I mean, it kind of is its own worst enemy anyway, but Kirsten Cinema is one of them. Um, anywho, but we'll, we'll find out more, more, more what she should do when she finally leaves office uh, later. I don't think we're, this is the last discussion of cinema by any means, but Wajahat Ali, everybody follow him on Twitter uh, at Wajahat Ali, uh, W-A-J-A-H-A-T and get that book. Go back to where you came from. 
out on paperback now. Um, Thank you all. Thank you for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. Congrats on the baby. And you're like you. my wife. You, you guys drop a baby, lose all the weight, and like look better than the rest of us, which <laughs> oh, is God. gross. But well you done. Don't, you haven't seen me from the waist down. You don't know. It's all down here. Hey, it's you know, during COVID, it's all the parties, you know, waist up. Who knows? I'm wearing pajamas right now. <laughs> the party is waist up. <laughs> all Take right, care, well, everyone. Be very well. Thank you guys for sticking around for being here. Remember, we have a bonus episode for the Frantifa. What's going on in Peru? Uh, I will get into it. Um, I'm reading some of your comments here. Uh, Yilva, thank you so much for the super chat. Congratulations on being one step closer to gold. This is all about Argentina. Uh, thank you. I'm excited. Uh, it's another final. We will see. At least Germany is not in the final, but France may be, and that's going to be tough. France kicked Argentina out in 2018 in the first round, and it, it felt okay because they went on to win the whole thing. So it was like, all right, they were kicked out by the best team. Mbappe is amazing. He's such a star. So eh, we got it. They, they run fucking – France is tall. They're tall and fast. So we will see. Um, but thank you so much, Yilva. Good to see you. Um, Martin is bitching about mandatory JROTC that kids are being put in feels a little brown shirty. Um, yeah, yes. It's creepy as hell. Um, <clears throat> the JROTC, we, I remember talking about it doing anti-war recruitment or yeah, anti-recruitment work and, and anti-war work and being like, wow, I can't believe they're allowed to bring all these like you know, machinery and video games onto campuses and, and high schools. And now they're just straight up enrolling students. If you guys haven't been following straight up enrolling students in JROTC automatically and the students can't get out of it. It's like a requirement now. Um, life girl says, is there a life? Is there an online option for your special live show? I'm in Pennsylvania. Sadly, no but it will be a podcast. So of course you guys get, get to listen to it. It's not going to be just for the live folks. We'll record it. It'll be out on that Tuesday. So never fear. And thank you fun P for the super chat, the big situation room and or is dope as fuck. <laughs> yes. Big situation. Oh my God. She's so cute. Um, Camperman 5,000 on YouTube, expand the courts and lifetime appointments. Honestly, just ending the lifetime appointments. That's all we have to do. Can we get that? hitting my mic i'm so excited baba frank student loan debt is the only debt that you cannot erase thanks biden for voting for that mm, bring in the receipts this is absolutely true the line in that line item was voted on nobody even looked at it no you can't declare bankruptcy for student loan debt um let's see oh fun p for Waj says you're my favorite failing immigrant lawyer thumbs up robert Franny, your rant about Chan Revolution indicated disturbing moral relativism of it's okay to hurt the people I don't like. Did I miss the point? I think you did miss the point. So we're talking about revolution. And my point wasn't about the Cuban Revolution, but we can get into it another time. But I would argue the Cuban Revolution was a net good um, and that Cuba was left in a basically um, colonial state thanks to the role of the United States and like trade liberalization and um, Bautista's... Uh, Baptista's like presidency. It was basically a, a colony of the United States used for a wealthy playground while the majority of Cubans lived in poverty, um, illiteracy, et cetera. And that the revolution um, brought like brought literacy, education, um, 
and a whole new generation of Cubans up um, with some dignity. It didn't, it wasn't perfect. It isn't perfect. But again, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about revolution and throwing off like a, an oppressive regime. So, you know, we can, we can discuss at another point in time. Um, Charm Chaos, after the 0809 crash, the interest on my wife's student loans went from 3.9 to 29%. Spent three times on interest versus education balance. I mean, egregious. Like, looking back on this moment, we're in right, an economic, some kind of economic recession. Not as bad, obviously. But compared to 2008 and they have the audacity to raise that shit in the middle of the fucking crash. Meanwhile, whatever, Lehman Brothers gets, no, Lehman Brothers went, went under, but banks get bailed out. I'm like, they, they actually died. But you know, like, fucking, mm. Pamela Jones says, exactly, these lenders are bad faith actors and this racial capitalist system preys on the lives of everyday persons instead of holding corporations responsible. Absolutely. Um, Jeff Curry says that Kirsten Cinema will be on The Masked Singer. Yes, she will be. Yes, she was disgustingly, she will be. And with that, you guys, let's bring in a thank you from me to you. This is <laughs> this is the fart song. Thank you for every supporter of this show for all those super chats. Um, let's start with the Twitch subs. Super bad mama subscribing for one month of tier one just a minute ago. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rar Bear Dragon, for the hundred bits. You're wonderful. Rosalba14 resubscribing for one month of tier one. Seven months subscribed. Budgie Snugglers cheering a thousand bits. Dios mio. Um, and thank you, Rar Bear Dragon, for resubscribing as well, saying glad to be here. And yes, gag on cinema on the view. Punch Up Dragon resubscribing with Prime, five months. Budgie Snugglers again with 400 bits. So generous. Budgie Snugglers with 100 bits more. Squirrely Coney resubscribing for one month of tier one, saying 10 months with Franny, you're the best. Red Light Dragon resubscribing with Prime. Calm Like a Bomb resubscribing. A safe name to say finally. <laughs> resubscribing with Prime. Let's start it over again, people. And Pool Champ 1996 subscribing for one month of tier one. Thank you guys so much for using your Bezos bucks to, uh, you know, help this show out and get ad-free content. To the new patrons of the Francifa, Leona Guthrie. Thank you so much. Big tippers, Randy Lucas, Joshua Winnie. Thank you. That really means a lot. Um, and late bloomer 66. I don't know if I got you, but thanks so much. This show is a Franny Fio production, but thank you to Paige Omek, to Maximilian Inhoff, to Andy Vasoyan and Alexander Ornes. We stream. Let me stop this. We stream every Tuesday at 1 p.m. East Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and Twitch. Follow the show on Twitter and on Instagram and on TikTok at Franny Fio, Habituation uh, Pod on Twitter. My bad. Um, and remember, we have a great show next week. Actually, John Idarola will be here next week. Um, we, uh, who is my comedian? Oh, Sarah Schaefer, comedian uh, who has a one-woman show all about stand-up comedy. She's going to break that show down. I can't wait to have her on. And remember, guys, fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy. And don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Nos vemos. <laughs>